0: Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains. This episode's guest is Naomi Atherton, an incredibly talented photographer, Australian born and based in Canada. And we dive right into her wise for adventure, growing up in Australia and the eventual move to Canada via the US, and just all the the drive behind what she does, the inspiration, the planning, the tales of adventure from the mountains and the Northern Lights. It's a really, really, really enjoyable interview. And I know I say that every single time, but I just think I'm very lucky to get these incredible people on the show. So I really hope you enjoy the episode with Naomi. I will put in the show notes all of her links. So if you want to follow her and her incredible shots on Instagram, or if you're getting married soon and you want to book her for a wedding photographer, then check out the show notes, check out the links there. But otherwise, let's just get straight into the podcast, shall we? Naomi, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing
0: very, very well. We we, we talk as if we haven't just chatted absolutely bollocks for an hour. Uh, for an hour, and but... a bit.
1: yes, absolutely. We'll just pretend we haven't. There's nothing else to say.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're just. This is going to be a podcast of just silence because we we've got it all out now while not recording. So <laughs> but, um, off air. Um. Yeah. Off there. Yeah. That cringy sentence. Uh. Naomi. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I, I genuinely mean that as well. And I try to say it when, when we start a conversation, I forgot to say it. So thank you very much for coming on. Um, this has been something we've been trying to book in for a while and it's been my chaotic life. <laughs> you just spend each time, you're like, yes, yeah, sweet, just let me know. <laughs> I'm just So yeah, No, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to be
1: here. No, no apologies needed. And I know it it can sometimes definitely be a big thing scheduling wise, but no, I'm happy to be here and thank you for having me
0: yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 my pleasure. Um, I, I wanted to kick off right to the start, um all the way back to sunny, sunny Australia. um you you've got such a fantastic life right now with with the with the photography that you get done, like the hustle you're doing, like the the just the adventures you get up to. And I wanted to kind of get right back to the start. What was Australia like? Was this something you were always doing? or or were you a bit of a, a, a bookworm growing up and then suddenly you found a mountain? How did it go down?
1: I was actually a bookworm. Yes. I was, I was the little English nerd growing up. Um, but no, I, I was always outside. Um, Obviously, landscapes are a little bit different back there. It's it's not the mountains. It's not the harsh winters. Um, it's it's super different. And I grew up in that environment where you know the majority of our exploring is done in the summer. Um, I kind of grew up uh, always kind of on land or owning horses, and so that was a big part of my childhood. And so I was always outside and always kind of finding you know something to do in that sense. Um, and the outdoors, if we're if we're talking about outdoors and mountains and and kind of seeking that adventure. I think that only really began a little bit before I moved to Canada for the first time and then and then got properly ignited once I was in Canada. Um, in saying that, there was certainly no shortage of, of adventures kind of growing up in, you know, the areas that I was, which is um, you know, South Australia and throughout Victoria. So obviously we have, you know, the coast and and kind of the adventures that you'd have as a, as a kid there. So I certainly have a lot of um, fond memories for that, but it was, I think always this contrast of, I figured out that there was something different in, on this side of the world. And that there was this crazy contrast of super, super rugged places and winter and, and just these things that were so foreign to me. And I think I, I, immediately craved that that difference and it's like the saying I mean we always want what we don't have and you know I see it now where I grew up in this country that a lot of Canadians or Americans would love to go and spend time in and and I'm here wanting to leave that country and spend time in theirs so I think there's always that aspect of you kind of chase what is what is foreign and what's kind of unknown to you
0: yeah I, I think what it like whenever i think of someone growing up in australia <laughs> for some for some very silly reason i just think of them always barefoot running around like battling <laughs> snake spiders and kangaroos <laughs> and then surfing when they're not hiking up the like the sort of the mountains it's not such the mountains like just walking along m- big hills kind of small mm-hmm. in the world's world scheme of things mountains but these like great like vast views over treetops and landscape behind like underneath you um but yeah, ma- mainly the, the barefoot battling wildlife. The
1: barefoot. <laughs> you know what? Some of that, some of that is certainly true. Uh, a lot of my childhood was barefoot, but um, a lot of it isn't because of snakes. And that definitely was a thing growing up. You know, you don't go in the long grass. You know, your parents are always saying, go make sure you wear your shoes, like wear your boots, even in summer. Um, but no, I mean, some of that is true. And and a lot of the Australian stereotypes, I mean, certainly certainly is true in that sense I have never actually surfed I think I surfed once um and that's always the thing that North Americans ask me they're like oh my gosh like how much did you surf and like was surfing your entire life and I was like "Nope, i I've never surfed ever before as far as I can remember it looks amazing I just you know I guess I moved when I was I was young um and so it wasn't something that I ever really got into and I think I would be horrible at it um but you aren't—you aren't wrong, obviously. With you know the coastlines, and we we do have this very diverse, um, this very diverse landscape and I think ecosystems over there that I didn't appreciate growing up there as much. I appreciated it, and it wasn't ever like I hated it there. But I think um, it wasn't actually until a period of time where I was actually stuck home during COVID, um, where I kind of opened my eyes to how amazing, like the country that we do have there and, and the diversity in in that we have those coastlines and we have these incredible beaches, but we also do have, um, and a lot of people don't know, but we do have mountains um, and we do get snow and and we do have those kinds of rugged environments, not quite the same, but um, as well as obviously the rainforests um, and the deserts as well. And the funny thing is the cliches that people would probably think about Australia, um, you know, when they meet me and they bring things up I haven't seen those, those cliche parts of Australia. I haven't, you know, seen, um, you know, Uluru and I haven't been to like the middle of the desert and I haven't been to those places. So there really is so much, um, to see and explore there. And, and I think, um, I was happy to eventually kind of gain that, that different perspective and appreciation for it when I was home for that period of time, kind of forced to to be home for the first time since I was a teen, and and just soak it up, and and realize that it is, you know, it is a beautiful country, and I'm very lucky to be from there. So,
0: yeah, I think a lot of people might be able to relate. Me certainly, um, to, it was two things for me. One, one was lockdown. One was becoming a dad, would made me realize. Mm-hmm. When I was groaning, like groaning growing up when my mum would go, Oh, we're so lucky to live where we do, and have it, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> and, and actually I'm really lucky to live where I do. <laughs> um and I, I think a lot of people will, will relate with you there, like during lockdown, mm-hmm. suddenly looking inside your own country and realizing how much there is to offer. I mean, but before we go on to literally traveling to the other side of the world, did you ever um take any trips down to say tasmania or or new zealand because you talk about vast and kind of completely different climates i I it's difficult for me having not been but from what i've seen from what people have said it feels like new zealand offers a very different climate and um and and could you even say culture maybe but i don't know did you ever venture out to to your neighbor yes it does
1: i i never did no and the funny thing is i I didn't really know as this is going to sound really naive, but I didn't really know how different um, the landscapes were down in Tasmania or New Zealand growing up. I knew New Zealand was only a couple of hours away and that they're very similar to us. You know, we always are swapping people. A lot of my friends would always spend time there. Um, I was involved in the mountain biking kind of community for quite a while growing up and everybody would always go over there for that, you know, for Rotorua, but I never went myself. Um, And I think During that time, again, that I was home in 2020, I planned trips to Tasmania and to New Zealand. And obviously that uh, fell through because of what was happening in the world. But that was actually the first time that I sat down and I realized and I researched a little bit more. And I was like, oh, Tasmania is very, very different to the rest of Australia um, and New Zealand even more so. Um, Obviously, to the point where, you know, I have friends here in Canada now who are taking trips to New Zealand and I, it, at first it was kind of almost a weird thing to me where I was like, oh, like you you have all of that here. Like why why are you seeking it out on, you know, 20 hours on the other side of the world? But the reality is it it is. It's this whole different, you know, this whole different can of worms and and they they do have um some really beautiful landscapes down there. And it is on my list for next time, I think that. I'm home and have some more time at home in Australia to kind of dividend, you know, say a week, cause it is so close, you know, it's what three, four hours, I think from the South there, um, which is where I grew up. So it's just a quick plane flight over, but no, I have not spent time in either of those places, but I know that they are, immensely beautiful
0: it's just on the never-ending list of places to to get it to. is yeah <laughs> it's
1: it's it's a growing list especially I think when oh, it's close it's to a hard, nightmare
0: really. isn't it it's a logistical nightmare
1: <laughs> like how do I how do I live long enough and have legs working for long enough to and to do all of the money things? to fund it <laughs> yeah. yes exactly yeah
0: so uh, let's let's talk get into Canada then because you didn't you didn't just go straight to Canada you spent a long time in the U.S. too I, I, I kind of first of all what was it inside you that made you take really quite a massive decision to go by family <laughs> i'm going to go here now like what what were the steps that got you to that point and and then what was the journey like
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it, it always sounds really, really cheesy and really cliche, but I genuinely was probably about 10 years old and I don't know exactly what it was that triggered it, but I do remember having um, a Canadian visit our school and I don't remember what class it was for. I I have a feeling it was something to do with history or uh, geography or something like that. Um, But I just remember, viscerally remember having this Canadian woman visit us. And I don't even remember exactly what she talked about, but she showed us pictures of the Rockies and uh, the lakes and the mountains. Um, and a big thing for me is I remember seeing pictures of, of frozen lakes and snow and just thinking at 10 years old, having never seen anything like that before ever, um, just kind of, I guess, this immediate curiosity and intrigue and just being like, oh, like that's that's waiting on other sides of the world that I'm not in currently. And I think it was, it was innocent back then, but I think I always had it in my head that, and I remember telling people when I was young, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, when I'm school, I'm going to move to Canada and people were like, Oh, okay, sure. That's super random, but um yeah, I think it was this thing that kind of developed over the years um, to the point where I was actually at an age where I had more resources to actually look into things and and see what opportunities were actually over there. Um, And I grew up through my teens heavily involved in kind of the film industry. And so a big thing for me was I realized that um, being in Canada was actually Vancouver was this hub um, for kind of the film industry and it was so difficult as an Australian to um, obtain you know a a permit to work in the United States and so it immediately kind of became this oh like I can go to Canada Um, and I already wanted to go to Canada for all of those years and so I think it was just this this seed that got planted really really early that just um, got kind of I guess fed in all these different ways and watered in, in all these different kind of ways from different people or different experiences and then my own research. And it just got to a point where I was like, nope, this is I I want to go and seek it out and I want to see if it's actually a place that I could live. Um, and so it was just this gradual process over essentially the span of nine years, um, from when I was, when I was around about ten or eleven, um, and kind of to when I touched down there for the first time when I was nineteen, I think was the year. So, yeah, it was it was quite a process. Um, I will admit there was a, a very, and this is so embarrassing to admit, but I was a horse girl and I grew up watching Heartland. And some people might laugh at this so much. But I watched that since I was nine years old, 10 years old. And I didn't realize for a while that that's actually where it was. And then that might've had, that might've had like a tiny, tiny bit of influence, but um, it's literally based in the Canadian Rockies. um, And I think I always watched that as a kid. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's, that's how they live. So.
0: So you've come as far as Canada from Australia. I really want to know at what point did photography start making its appearance was that still back in australia or was this now uh, a, an american canada kind of thing
1: no it was very very early on it was back in australia um i again it's the cheesy thing i always had a camera in my hand probably from around about the age of 10 my mum shot so um essentially i just commandeered her camera from a young age and she never had access to it anymore it was kind of just mine Um, and so she kind of had that influence on me and it started, I mean, obviously as a kid and a teenager, it's, it's always pretty innocent. You're just, you're shooting just for the love of it. And you don't even, I I don't think anyone ever, no one ever really opened up to me, I guess the possibility of it being a career. And I, I never really looked down that pathway at that young of an age. I was just doing it for the love of it, but it wasn't until, um, I did actually start to shoot people, you know, to shoot portraits, um, and couples and things like that and um i had a family friend say to me like you know you could you could like you could make money from this like you should actually really charge um for this and she's like i know somebody who who this is their job and i kind of that was at the age of about 16 or so um and it was just kind of this very foreign thing to me like no one sits no one sits in class you know when you're seven eight nine and you do that class where everyone picks their career, you know, and the teacher tells you how, how worthy of a career it'll be and, and how much money you'll make. And, you know, the cliche thing where they say, oh no, you don't want to do that because that would, that will take you nowhere in life. And no one, no one sits down in that class and says they're going to be a photographer. No one, at least at my age, I would like to think that maybe it's different nowadays, but so I kind of just never had that I I never had that perspective until kind of, I want to say 16, 17. And, and that was kind of when I think Instagram, you know, was more of a thing. And I was on Instagram at that age. Um, It was kind of when I began. And I remember one day seeing um, kind of, you know, through jumping on that platform, seeing uh, a wedding photographer, not, much older than me like I was young then but it it was a very young photographer um who was you know making six figures and traveling around and shooting people and that was something that I'd really enjoyed doing and something that I'd started um and that was kind of like the light bulb where I was like oh like that's that's actually a career she's actually doing that she's only a little bit older than me like there's no reason why I can't and so that kind of started the people side of things. And and that was something that I was always doing from a really young age and, and kind of grew into, and that, that fell into kind of, you know, the couples and the weddings. And I think I, I began shooting, you know, landscapes and, and also, I don't want to say landscapes because I wasn't good at it back then, but it was, I was shooting my adventures and I did a lot of, I actually did a lot of video back then again, wasn't good at it, but I would just, take videos of our road trip or our trip to, you know, I would always go with my friend to our mountains in Victoria, which they are not like the mountains here, but they were, you know, the best that we could have um, there and they are beautiful um, kind of the Hotham, Buller Alpine region there of Victoria. And um, so I would always kind of start delving into the landscape side of things there. And it wasn't until I think um, Canada that really, kind of ignited i guess not just shooting people like wanting to shoot experiences and places um and kind of just really being this um this sense of i'm experiencing this new place and i'm experiencing these these new feelings how do i how do i learn to kind of relay it in in an image um, and that was kind of where that curiosity then it just extended from there but very long-winded answer but photography did actually come well before before Canada or before ever getting on a plane but I think it wouldn't have maybe continued in the way that it has if I didn't end up on this side of the world because it's you know obviously been a huge inspiration so Do
0: you still remember that first trip like did you did you have like a I'm actually quite enjoying shooting landscapes. I'm going to do a trip just to shoot some landscapes. Did you, did you have like a first trip like that or did it just grow quite naturally? And then you took a step back one day and go, Oh no, apparently I take pictures of mountains now.
1: <laughs> I think as a kid, it was very gradual. Um, Cause I remember, you know, going on a family vacation to one of our family friends, you know, beach houses. And there was this gorgeous like hidden cove. And I remember going and, and taking terrible pictures of this. And this was probably at the age of like 14, 15. And so there wasn't really this distinct, I guess, progression, I think, within Australia. Um, I think it really started to to kick up when I went to the mountains for the first time, which is funny because I guess it it's always for me going to start in the mountains. But um, I think the real pivotal moment was uh, actually in Canada and the first trip to the Canadian Rockies because I had bookmarked that place in my head for years and years and years at that point. And it was just such a impactful like it's so cliche but it was such an impactful profound moment like seeing them for the first time and driving you know we drove down north from from Hinton into Jasper and, and down that way and it was just I will never forget the feeling and I think even though I had started shooting those landscapes and going on those trips you know to to seek out you know those kinds of shots before that that was the one that really kind of just ignited that curiosity of how do I I know photos are never going to do it justice and you know that's the cliche saying but I think that that saying was playing in my head that whole trip because I was like I know it's never going to do it justice but how do I learn how to do it as much justice as I can if that makes sense and I just remember being so in awe and and just wanting to to kind of capture that and and part of it was wanting to be able to share with with family members because I really just was so excited to be there and and it that trip meant a lot and really was that trip was pivotal for I think my landscape photography but also just for my uh, my time on this side of the world and kind of knowing where I wanted to be and and base myself and the kind of lifestyle I wanted to have so that trip was the most impactful one I want to say and it just spiraled from there that was when it really was serious it was like okay this is this is what I'm seeking kind of thing
0: yeah I, I mean being a um being a photographer, uh, you can imagine I've got I've got shed loads. I want to talk to you about this. Um, I think the first thing comes to mind for me is I I, I was al- I was always wondering before we really sat down and did this, did your aspirations shift at all? Like, did you ever think I want to be this photographer? No, now I want to be that sort of photographer. Or now I want to be that sort of photographer. But it really seems like you've got your passion with the landscape. You've got passion, and therefore turned into a job with the um, with the the human shooting. <laughs> that sounds bad uh yeah human subjects. No. The
1: shooting humans. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah. <laughs> Welcome to America. Um, <laughs> um sorry, people. All right. Anyway, um <clears throat> your aspirations, it seems like they were kind of early rooted. And really that, that drive to find out more, not just go that'll do. That drive to find out how can I be better? How can I be better? How can I be better? It seems like it's just really cemented what, what you've had growing uh, like since you were a kid basically uh, would you say the same
1: yes 100 percent. although it feels like it's been a, you articulated it very well but it feels like it's been a lot more of a chaotic process than that i think it's it honestly has been an endless struggle i i think i just i loved i knew that i loved it so much as a just as a whole um photography in itself and so i think once i started figuring out that you know, once I was in it and, and realizing, oh my goodness, like there are so many pathways, like shooting people isn't just where you can make money. Shooting people isn't just where you can find fulfillment because um, it's never been, you know, just one or the other. But I think it really has just been this, I mean, at this point, you know, over 10 years of, of figuring out, okay, where where are my passions the most? Where How can I merge that with making a living? Um, and kind of always actually really struggling between the two and feeling like I had to pick one. And I've had that a lot over the years where I think, I think in the creative industry, they do do that a little bit where they say you have to niche down. Um, the best people in your fields got there because they niched down. And I felt a lot of pressure for that over the years where I was like, okay, well, uh, my, you know, my foot, everything I'm, I'm in, I'm in weddings and I'm in people. I need to, just take this and run with it and run with only this. And so I had stages of doing that where I kind of, um, you know, it's not that I left, you know, the passion for landscape photography. It's that I just, it, it almost went on the back burner or it didn't get my full, you know, kind of attention or passion in the same way. And it's gone the other way as well, where I delved more into the other side of things. And I I kind of found myself in this middle ground where I was like, you know what? I don't actually have to pick. I don't actually have to pick, um, it's all about how you use your time and it's how you, you know, plan your year or your schedule or your priorities. And I mean the big thing with a lot of this is where I live enables me to do both of those very easily. And um, essentially there are also ways, especially on the people's side of things, to merge both of them. So that was where I really clicked, I want to say the last um, I want to say the last two or three years. Living in places like this. And then previously um, the pW where that is a very big market, you know, adventure wedding photographers. That's a, that's a very big thing. And so that was another whole eye-opening experience where I was like, oh, okay. Um, I don't have to pick. And I can actually bring my love of landscapes into my client work with weddings where they, where it's fit and where, you know it perhaps aligns with the client's, you know, values and views as well. Um, And so it's, it's really actually been a very interesting um, process that I've, I've definitely learned a lot along the way with, because it's funny when, when things pull you in in two different directions and you feel like you have to pick, but you don't actually, and I haven't. So. I
0: mean, you can, it's a lot of it's also about how you market yourself, surely. I mean, like Mm -hmm. if you, if you, if you want to sell your services as a wedding photographer you don't send them the northern lights you took a photo of and if you're trying to uh, yeah if you're trying 100%. to land a landscape jobs you don't send the photo like the wedding that you did exactly you know when i was yeah. when i was working in sales i didn't say i had a criminology degree i said i had a social science degree because it was but amazing that's yeah. a little bit more tailored to social science You yeah, know that that's understanding people talking to people having conversations um, whereas a bit chronology, criminology, they probably wouldn't, they wouldn't have cared at all. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's what's applicable, right. And it's what people need to see. And, and that's essentially, it's like with anything, it's the most perfect example. It's like, I'm not, and I think that's when I figured out, okay, well, I need to separate two brands essentially. And and one is my landscape brand and one is my people brand. So, <laughs> which I've done, and obviously, you know, they're very separate, um, you know, separate sites, separate Instagrams, but it's funny because people, the clients that i attract naturally on the people side of things you know for weddings and couples um you know they'll end up through however you know through conversation or or just naturally find the other side of my work and they'll just get such a kick out of it because it, it's kind of just this i guess multi-dimensional thing and and everyone can kind of appreciate that side of it too so that's kind of where it began where people would say oh like i i saw your landscape photography like can can we maybe do a little bit more of that in our session? Like, can we be like the tiny, tiny subjects? And can you just shoot, you know, this place that we're in? Like, you know, when I was in Seattle or things like that. And and so, yeah, I think it, it. You're very right. It's 100% what you market and and being able to just clearly market like both those things individually.
0: I think as well. I'm I'm, I'm thinking back as as Chris here to your your recent trip to Adelaide where you put the photos up. Um, what were they? Your two friends or or were they clients? But you had the yeah the like, amazing like australian coast heading out behind them with the, the waves to the left of the left of the shot yes and um, yes and the couple there i i thought that was stunning i was like, like like i try not to swear but like fuck me i was i was like gee that's a really great <laughs> <Yeah>. shot
1: <laughs> that was me the entire sh- that was me the entire shoot and that shoot was so funny because um i was so excited for it it was the one kind of you know shoot that i did um When I was home and I did know the couple from, from years and years ago, I'd shot with them and, um, they are just lovely and, and such a blast to work with. And I had been so psyched for that location, um, because I'd shot it as a landscape photographer a bunch of times, um, during that, that period when I was home in 2020, that was a spot that I went, I don't even know how many times during that year. Like it was just my happy place. It was where I went with my friends and we would just create anything like whether we're shooting landscapes, we'd do videos with drone. Um, and it was just, it's such a powerful place of the coast there. And I think it really was just one of my, my favorite areas um, in, in that state. And so I was like, you know what, while I'm home, I want to, I want to shoot someone there. Like I want to shoot people there and uh, kind of integrate that. And it was, the most amazing shoot because it actually, there was a massive thunderstorm and it had been downpouring rain. And I was, I'd driven, you know, two and a half hours from where I was staying to get there. And so had they, and so I was just absolutely devastated and we kind of waited it out and it just ended up being the most incredible, like moody coastal conditions that I just, I honestly couldn't have even asked for better, but it was, yeah, it was, uh, that was kind of a prime example of that. It was actually a spot that I'd shot so much as a landscape photographer and I brought them there and, and, and we got to kind of tie that in together. Um, And I mean, I'm some of my favorite shots in a while actually, and and being able to shoot in my home country again, but um, they got such a kick out of it as well because they, they live in the area and, and they discovered kind of, I guess, a local gem and, and we're really blown away by it. So it's, that was a, that was actually a prime example of being able to, to tie in the two together.
0: I'm conflicted which way to go next. I think I'll, I'll ask this one first and, and then we'll move on to a, to another area of photography. So um, I I was wondering when, when you're, you're doing so much photography, they'll still seem unrelated, was bear with me. Did you ever watch the program Friends?
1: Sorry, the the TV show Friends?
0: Yeah, the TV show Friends.
1: Yes, yeah, 100%. It just cut out for a second. So I was like, friends, of course. Oh, yeah, no no,
0: no, bother. Um, There's a scene where Rachel's trying to date a gynecologist and he isn't committing to the date. He just isn't committing, he isn't committing. And he's going, why wouldn't you go on a date with me? And he turns around and he goes, okay, Rachel, what do you do for a job? And she's like, oh, I I serve coffee. And he goes, do you ever just get home one day and you think to yourself, if I see one more cup of coffee... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, it, I know what you're gonna ask. Yeah.
0: Do you ever do you ever need that break? Do you ever think if I just have to take one more fucking photograph <laughs> or if I have to open up Lightroom yet again today? Like do you get that same feeling sometimes?
1: A hundred percent. And and I, I do want to say, and I feel like this conversation comes up so much. And I feel like I've had um so many conversations about this lately with other creatives, um, kind of in my circle, but It one hundred percent is a thing. It's it's burnout. It's creative burnout. Like any creative experiences, it. But I want to say I didn't actually have it for a really long time. I I was like, oh, you know, I would listen to people, you know, do these interviews and and chat about it. You know, people who are at the top of the industry. And I was thinking, I've never felt that before. I was so naive. I was like, I've never felt that before. I always happy with a, a camera in my hand. And then I did a couple of years ago. I hit it and I hit it hard mm. and I didn't want to touch my camera and I didn't want to look at Lightroom. I didn't want to touch my laptop. I didn't want to see camera settings, I, nothing. I, <laughs> I just, I hit it so hard. And I don't even bring had a up it. ISO to me. <laughs> don't even bring up anything. And it really just, it it's always been a temporary thing. And it happens to so many, it happens to everyone. It happens to every photographer. Um, when you do start getting paid, for what you love. Um, And, you know, that's the thing that people will always not warn you, warning is the wrong word, but like, they will always say, just, just make sure you're aware, like this is going to happen one day, you are going to hit this wall, you are going to feel burnt out, you are going to feel maybe a little bit sour towards something that once, you know, brought you just joy, nothing else but joy. And I think just, I felt a lot of guilt when that first happened. And I kind of got in a bit of a funk about it. But then I quickly realized that, you know, it was just burnout and I needed to strip it back to, you know, the basics and I needed to strip it back to what I loved about it. And and sometimes all it is, is just taking a break and just, just not shooting for, you know, a couple of days or however long it might be. Um, And also just on my side of things, you know, perhaps when it was the people side of things that was burning me out a little bit more, you know, because I have massive amounts of photos to cull through, Um And just not being able to catch up in between shoots and editing for, you know, 12 hours a day and just kind of going out and taking my camera under the night sky for one night and just not thinking and just kind of, yes, I might shoot. And I might, I obviously love to shoot that kind of thing, but I might also just put my camera down and just kind of sit in it and remember that, yes, you know, this is why I come out to shoot and this is part of photography and I get paid for it, but I also love doing it and i need to make sure that i kind of ground myself and bring myself back to that sometimes so it it comes in different forms and i guess the the solutions to snap yourself out of it can come in different forms as well and i think you just kind of need to sit in it and be like okay what do i need at this point in time to to reset myself and to to feel that kind of joy again with it so it's very relevant it's a really good question
0: <laughs> i think you actually raised you touched on something that I think is also really important when you're feeling burnt out. You, you mentioned feeling guilty. That's,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think if you're someone who burns out, you're someone who cares. And when you care and then you get burnt out, of course you feel guilty. You, you feel like maybe, maybe you're letting people down by not doing the work or you're letting yourself down mm-hmm. or, or you have, maybe you have this like faux identity crisis confusing what the burnout actually is. I feel like acceptance is a really big, like that's something I've learned. If you, if you're feeling burnt out, accept that, just be like, oh, <laughs> I'm pretty burned out. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Stop. And then don't. And yeah, like, like, like you said, I think i I think you touched on saying that that's the next big thing as well, which is go out and not just, not just going out and doing it for yourself, but accepting for it, for what it is. Don't feel guilty. And I, I feel like you'll get back on your feet quicker.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. I it's, it's so evident, like, and it, you can always you're always so aware of it as it's happening but sometimes you do need to just yeah to just strip it back and be like oh yep yeah, this is exactly what I needed and it's it, the light bulb goes off right like you're like yep I'm good I'm I'm good again I'm ready to roll and you know that'll that'll sometimes take more sometimes and it'll take less other times but it's it's always something that and and I think the caring aspect as well like I I do like to think that just with my personality type no matter what the work is whether it's force somebody on maybe the most important day of their life that's definitely a big thing um i care a lot and i take it very personally and i have always taken it personally that's never gone away and so every single person it doesn't matter if i'm serving you know two couples a year or 40 each person gets that same care and so i think that aspect of it mentally can be hard too because you feel like you can't stop for a day if somebody's waiting you know it doesn't matter if you're well within a deadline i think i always i still struggle with that a little bit it's been a process over the years but um you know it is if you care about what you do um you're gonna hit burnout more because because you do actually care and because you put yourself all in i guess
0: and just to back you up as well, I, I did, um, I, I worked as an operations manager at a wedding photography place and and they, oh, they, yeah, they so wore you know. their socks off. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it, it's mad. And, and you have to get back. You have to sort, first of all, you have to sort your kit out. Like, like mm-hmm. all the different batteries, the memory cards, the different cameras, the different lenses that you yes. might take, and you have to sort yeah. all that out. Then you have to organise all the photos. Then you have to go through like a hundred, say, edit a few down. Go, oh, here's your taste of shots. Then you have to go through yep. the entire album. Yeah. Then you have to do the culling, which like, oh yeah, sometimes I don't know how you do that because like I, I've sat with, do I. Um, with Martin, and he's like, which I need I, there's too many. Which one do I get rid of? <laughs> um,
1: so, yeah. I took 8,000 photos today. How do I yeah. narrow
0: this down? <laughs> How do I give you 200? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah literally. And even then that's, that's, yeah, that's overload for a human anyway. But yeah, anyway, um, listen, you, you spoke about, um, you know, when we were speaking about Adelaide, um, you, you spoke about that, that spot you really wanted to go and photograph. And you also mentioned about with burnout, you go out and just take some photographs of yourself. Don't, don't think about it, just like, just take it, at least it's with you by your side, if, if should you want to use it. Mm-hmm. Ever since watching the film, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, I get really fascinated asking photographers, do you ever get a point where you just, you have just a, this incredible moment, whatever that moment is, and you decide just to, just to live it rather than take the photograph?
1: Yes, 100%. And I, I think, I, I feel like photographers talk about that all the time, and that's such, um, a great line in that, that film, because it really is so true. And I think sometimes if you, if you really love, you know, especially with landscapes, um, if you are so passionate and, and are on this high of kind of chasing these trips and chasing these moments and chasing these photo spots, um, it'll take you a while to probably get to that moment where you have that realization, but a hundred percent, um, I've been hit with so many of those, especially more so over the last couple of years. And I think um, what really did it for me properly was um, experiencing the Northern lights and the night sky, but specifically the Northern lights. And I think before you see them, you think, Oh my goodness. Like as a photographer, you think, Oh, I'm, I have to get, so I have to get all the shots. I'm going to get all my bucket list shots. I'm going to frame it like this and I'm going to get this in the foreground and I'm going to shoot this famous spot with the lights above it. And you get, All these excited thoughts, which are obviously amazing. But I think the first time I saw them, I did shoot them. Um, I took probably a really bad shot of them because I didn't know what I was doing. But I did shoot them, but I also just stopped and soaked it up. And same with the following times, the times right after that first time that I saw them, I got my camera out and I set up a shot. And then I was like, I just, I just want to sit. I just want to sit. I don't want to look at a screen. I want to just look up at, what's above me and just the insane, um, phenomenon that it is. And so I think, you know, we have those moments all the time as landscape photographers and they could be anywhere in the world of any place. But I think for me, the biggest thing has been the Northern Lights and at night, like when you're at night and you're shooting, I think you are forced to be so much more in the moment. I don't know what it is about. About shooting at night, whether it's whether the northern lights are out or whether it's just you know you're you're out to shoot the Milky Way somewhere and you're in the middle of nowhere, there's not a sound anywhere except you know maybe an animal here and there, and you start questioning why you're out there. But aside from that, you you really are forced to just sit in this moment. And I think for me, it's um, being in those environments and shooting those particular things is when I feel the most present. Like I, I think present is such a good word because. We don't, I feel like we don't a lot as adults, like we get caught, you know, you just get caught up in that day to day and it's, it's harder to bring yourself into a moment a lot more, but that's the one thing that, that always pulls me back. And that gives me the, the Walter Mitty, (laughs) the Walter Mitty moment where I'm like, no, I just, I just want to sit in this. I just want to experience it. I don't want to look through the lens of a camera. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's stunning. Cause I I, like, you never know if they're, they're going to be like, no, I always take the photo.
1: (laughs) Oh no, I feel like so many people are on the same page as that. And, and like I said, if, if you're, if you're new to it and you're still caught up in that initial, just like drive to learn and, and, and just like, you're so keen for all of those aspects, obviously it's going to look a bit different, but I think, I think it's really good if you can get to that point where you're like, no, the the camera's staying away. I'm turning off, tripods away.
0: (laughs) Well, staying on landscape for a bit, we were chatting on voice notes, um, a while back, um, not not too long ago, I was talking about last Monday with you, um, and how um, uh, the route I did with my daughter ended up being twice yes. as long. And <gasps> you mentioned maps, and I, was, I I I can't remember if you answered me, but I thought, hey, good opportunities to to whack it as a question here. I want to know mm-hmm. how, how do you get the inspiration for the different trips that you do? Um, you've you've done so many of, of of different varieties, whether that's you know going going hiking or just setting up for a nice scenery shot. How would you come up with the idea? Is it a case of you just pull out a map sometimes and you just go, I reckon we can go here? That'll be good. Or or is it off recommendations or or like is it a big group effort? Like
1: a little bit of everything. Yeah. I I want to say more recently, since moving to the Rockies, have I been a big maps person? Um, I have a lot of friends who are just amazing with that kind of thing and they will just Literally find a spot on Google Maps and and go on to Google Earth mode and and just scout purely based on that, just in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the Canadian Rockies, you know, a glacier, an ice cave, something like that. And so I think I've been a lot more influenced by people like that since I've moved here. Um but prior to that, I mean, it, it's always a combination. It might be, I know when I lived in in Washington state in the US, it was all trails. And I, I simply, I had no idea. I had a little bit of an inkling, you know, being on social media and, and following, you know, all these people that are, are sharing locations in, in that area. Um, but it was kind of sitting down And I remember just having my notebook one day and the excitement of of arriving in Washington and and being there and being like, okay, summer is short. What am I prioritizing? Where do I want to go? And so I just remember going through all trails by each region, you know, okay, the the cascades look amazing and super rugged. What what hikes in there can I look at? Um, And then kind of go through even just the photos that people are taking on their phone on these hikes and thinking, okay, well, that's giving me an idea of what it looks like. And okay, this is a shot that I've been wanting of this particular mountain range. This is a good vantage point from, from this particular hike or or something like that. And so that was a big thing that I did in, in Washington and then definitely in the Rockies here. Um, you know, because we do live and this could go for anywhere. I mean, really in, in North America and and other countries, but there are always going to be the most photographed places in, in your area. And, and I want to say that I, biased or not i do live in probably one of the most beautiful and potentially the most photographed places in the world i think uh marine lake is up there with the most photographed places in the world and that's you know just in our backyard here and so i think once you're here you kind of you do want to get all those those bucket list shots you know you want to shoot marine lake you want to shoot lake louise you want to go on those hikes that that everyone knows about and and get those cliche perspective shots Um, And I think that's always going to be a part of it, especially in a place like this. But I think what really is the turning point is where you start to go, okay, well, I want to get those, but how can I get those and make them different? How can I get them in different conditions? How can I shoot them perhaps in a way that they haven't been shot? Um, and then also just seeking out places that aren't just, you know, a tourist drive up spot. And so that's where it kind of comes back to, you know, all trails and, and going, okay, well, these are these, you know, these hikes or these scrambles that I want to do. And then going through and seeing, okay, well, these are the vantage points that I might have and, and start planning, you know, a shot from there. But it definitely is a group effort. I feel like it's never, it's never usually just me. There's a lot that I might do, um, especially for shooting at night. Um, kind of just there's a lot of planning I think that goes into that where you're picking a location you're picking coordinates and you're figuring out okay well the Milky Way is here at this time of the night and I need to be standing here and it's very particular in that sense so I think uh, it depends what you're doing but um, definitely a combination of all of the above but Google Earth lately is it's is definitely fun for that when you're trying to find stuff that that might not be on on all trails or it, it might be really really out there and you're like okay can I get there is this possible
0: that's what the best thing about a map is I mean um the, the uh, uh, you know I'm going to refer back to him in a, in a bit actually but um Ian Finch when he came on for an interview he had just done uh up in the re- the most remote part of the UK um called Neu no- and he, him as mate, he literally just got a map and gone, I reckon we can canoe this lock and then tow it wow. to here, like, like put along here. I, I can't remember, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember the, the, the name of it. Like, I've got like dad brain or something. Um, <laughs> it's going to kick, it's going to kick me. It's going to be like midnight later. And I'll be like, oh, that's, like cool. that's where it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then, and then you get get on again, you go through another lock, and that was literally designed by looking at a map. So yeah, for those mo- more remote places, that's, that's the excitement, I think, especially when is, yeah. you've been around that area before, maybe you've seen kind of over that way when you're up walking along a ridge maybe, and then, and you can kind of, you're starting to imagine what it would look like. hundred percent. Of, yeah. 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 Oh, and fantastic. I mean, I,
1: I, I think the thing that you quickly realize in the Canadian Rockies is that you might look at something, you know, from the ridge of another hike and you might be like, Oh yeah, like, I wonder what that would look like. And then usually upon research, you're like, that is not easy. That is not going to be a straightforward, um, process or adventure or whether it is actually you know a classified hike or a scramble or it's not um i think that's kind of the funny thing about being here but there is there is so much um i love the chaotic nature of that just just look at a map and just kind of be like okay well this is our little region um let's just chuck a pin here and see if we can make it happen
0: yeah i i used to really struggle with gauging distance when when i'm on the on the top of a mountain looking out i i, I have no idea what yes. is that is that a mile away or is that 10 miles away or 10 miles 20? away yeah like I, I, literally <laughs> no idea yeah honestly it, it made early navigation an absolute nightmare because <laughs> oh 100 you think you think it's a you think it's a tiny little sort of town uh, and it ends up being a huge lake and you know like, <laughs> don't take me <laughs>
1: um, exactly
0: um i kind of wanted to get, dive, dive a little bit deeper as well i, I mean when we're when we're talking about adventure and, and photography and you know what, this can this can apply to, to the to the, the our favorite human choosing as well I wanted to find out what your whys are like when you what makes you get up and and go on that adventure and pick up a camera What what is it that keeps making you think how can I do that better how can I do this differently like what is that fire inside you well you
1: know yeah that's a really great question well I think like we said before it it gets divided between the two niches. I think for the people side of things, um, my why has always been the people. And that's like, as cliche as that is, It's it literally just stems back to the first time I can actually, I don't actually really remember my first one, but the first time I can tangibly remember the first gallery that I delivered, you know, to a couple or to someone and, and getting their reaction. And I think that is what would keep pushing me, you know, on the human side of things. And just, you know, when you are sharing, um whether it's someone's wedding day or whether it's, you know, you're just out for an engagement shoot in the mountains, you're sharing really private times with somebody. And, you know, maybe a wedding day isn't quite as private, but the reality is I'm sitting with her in the morning in, in the bridal suite, you know, for the getting ready part of the day. And you're with them on this, this really pivotal day. And I think that keeps being my why on on that side of my work and i think as much as it's so easy to get burnt out from weddings and it does you know at the end of the season you do look at your pile of sd cards and you just go oh my gosh i don't i don't want to shoot another wedding for another 6 months i just want to not think about weddings but at the end of the day when you are actually there and you're with you know your client and you're with um you know their family and and getting to see these moments i think that is just just realizing that you don't know what you're shooting you know you never know if you're shooting some of somebody's last photos with a with a family member or, or or something really um i guess meaningful is that and i think it it just varies it varies so much you know with the other side of my work which landscapes started more for me and you know they they did transition more into where i could you know work in the commercial kind of region for brands or, you know, for tourism boards and things like that. And it becomes work still, but it started for me. And I think it started simply in just wanting to um, relay a feeling and relay I mean, just back to, you know, that first trip that I had to the Rockies where I just, I will never forget what it felt like. And I guess I just was determined to find a way to immortalize that in some form in in my work and be able to show my family and have them feel, you know, who, who couldn't come to this side of the world and have them feel, you know, a little bit of that awe, even if it wasn't the same amount. And so I think my why on the landscape side of things is always that curiosity and that drive to want to relay that feeling and i think just paired with naturally the nature of 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 landscape photography you're always seeking experiences and i think you know like we were talking earlier about when you can make sure that you're not getting too caught up in the shooting side of it it just makes for a really meaningful career essentially because you're you're doing this work but if you can really break down to the root of it you're you're seeking out these experiences and you're getting these experiences and you're um, really being able to experience things in a different way, I guess. And so that's a big thing for me on that side of work. It's, it's very different between the two, but it still ultimately comes down to the fact that I, it's some sort of storytelling. And I always love to use the word storytelling because I feel like, you know, there's so many layers of it, you know, that could be video, that could be photography, that could be writing, you know, there's all these different, you know avenues of storytelling and I feel like photography is is one of them and I do storytelling for both those niches but you know they're both very different and essentially both of them give me a a very a very similar fulfillment in different ways so
0: yeah absolutely um and I mean we're we're coming up on time but there's a question I really wanted to ask um so the this question I was going to ask because you've you've really invested a lot of your time and and spent a lot of your skill in three kind of key places in uh, australia america canada um and i mentioned ian finch earlier i really recommend everyone listens to this pot this podcast actually on, on the adventure podcast um with ian finch they talked about you know where is home for someone who travels so much like where is home for you um and then he said someone asked him once where do you belong and it just changed one word, it just changed completely the stance of the question. I really recommend people go and listen to that episode, but I kind of want to ask you the same thing. You've invested so much of your time, and I think I know the answer, but
1: but for, <laughs> but for you, where do you belong? In Canada, a hundred percent. I um yeah, I I get so I get that question from so many people from so many ends, so many areas of my life. I get it from family home in Australia I get it from people here I get it from people questioning you know that that uh, that live here and that grew up here and questioning why you know I'm doing all these these crazy things to to stay in this country and to call it home and I think it just I I landed here when I was 19 and and I knew you know I guess a little bit of what I was walking into but it was just very much this um this this moment from from touching down and and being here at a younger age and kind of saying, okay, like this is this is home. Like I've found my community. I've found um a lifestyle that that really aligns with everything that I want in life. Um and I think just the people here as well and being able to surround myself so easily with um just people who share the exact same passions and and values and and lifestyles as I do. And obviously every place has that, but I think for me, um the whole of my adolescence it's been here and it's it's always a foreign concept to explain to people when you you weren't born in this country like that you have no other ties to this country other than that you found a home and you built a life there and sometimes people don't understand when you explain it to them but sometimes there's nothing you can really say to make them understand except that um yeah when you find home I think when you find home on on the other side of the world, fifteen thousand kilometres from where your passport says your home technically is, I think there's uh yeah, there's just a lot of weight in it. So, a hundred percent, the the Great White North is a hundred percent home for me.
0: Oh, that's that's wonderful, and I think I think I knew I knew that was going to be the answer. But... Yeah, you know exactly that that's <laughs> yeah. what,
1: what I was going to say.
0: But it's it's always it's always really fascinating. I think with the sign off, really, I, I kind of. There's two questions. Well, I always say one and a half questions. Um, I used to ask, um, what's one moment you'd love to relive? And I think I'd like to rephrase it really, which is um, when you think of your happiest memory in Canada, outdoors, adventuring, which is the first one that comes to mind?
1: The very first one is, is the Northern Lights. hundred percent. The first time I saw them, um, there had been some attempts to see them years ago when, I very first came here when I was 19 um, and actually the exact same location that I tried to see them for the first time in Jasper at Pyramid Lake um, all those years ago, probably what, seven, seven, eight, nine years ago. I went back there by chance uh, at the beginning of last year and that's where I saw them for the first time. And and I think that that is something that I would love to relive, but in a way I kind of do all the time because they uh, – They appear a lot here, and we are so so lucky. And I think that's just an experience that, yeah, it will be ingrained in my my brain for a very long time, and I won't forget it. Um, So I think if I could go back and live, relive something, it would probably be that. But I I feel like I almost already do a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: a really beautiful answer. (laughs) Yeah, Northern um Lights. And, and also the last half question, uh, which is if we want to be following along with your with your photography and with your adventures uh, and your and your journey to Canadian immigration, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a whole other thing,
1: <laughs> whole other podcast, <laughs>
0: where where can we do that?
1: you can uh, find me on Instagram obviously like every other photographer um, at Naomi Jane Atherton Um, you can find me online at uh, www.naomijanecreative.com for my landscape stuff Um, for my people (laughs) side of things uh, that is a separate brand uh, on Instagram Naomi Jane photo and then the same for the website it would be www.naomijanephoto.com so two very different things but uh, landscapes and, and personal adventures are, are on the first one so
0: well I will definitely be putting them in the show notes as well so people can go ahead and, and click away but um Naomi that yeah thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate it
1: you are so welcome I had a blast thanks so much for having me